Hey everyone, welcome to Hit The Apex Podcast here, Jawad, as always with you. Thank you very much for tuning in this week as we look to wrap up the Mexico City Grand Prix. Um, please don't call it the Mexican Grand Prix in the words of Ted Kravitz over the weekend as well. It's the only mention of Ted Kravitz on this show, so without without attracting any controversy or uh, heated debate or whatever, we'll leave that one for another time. Um Instead, there is also the matter of Red Bull's cost cap breach penalties as well. Sorry, I'm lost for words already, um, and we're not even a minute into the show. Gee, this is going to be a tough one. Um, talking about the penalties that were handed down for the cost cap breach for Red Bull, Aston Martin as well for their procedural breach, and then talking about supercars, the Gold Coast 500 was on the weekend, and I've got some talking points for you there. Otherwise, hope everyone's well. Um, only two races to go now. Three if you include the sprint as well in Brazil next time out, but where has the year gone? We're in November already. I know I sound like a broken record every time I uh, get to this part of the year and start talking about that sort of stuff, but hey, you know, that's life for you people. <laughs> don't take it, um, don't be too serious all the time, is my advice. Um, another Max Verstappen masterclass uh, defying the odds, I guess, not in the sense that he was out of grid position or, you know, starting at the back of the field, but the fact that I think nobody or only one person has won the Mexico City Grand Prix or at this particular track from pole position. Generally, you're looking at someone on the second row, generally third it is or fourth who come through to win, but he took pole position and won his 14th race of the season and now setting the record for most wins in an F1 season, which is, you know, astonishing uh, when you look at it and all the superlatives and and all the good things you can say about Max is been faultless this season. And again, like you look back to after the Australian Grand Prix, for example, people were writing him off saying, oh, you know, 46 points is too big a deficit to come back from. But we're not even counting, you know, his advantage anymore in the championship. It is, it's somewhere up there. I probably should check anyway, um, as we get closer to the end of the season, if he actually breaks that Sebastian, the, that other Sebastian Vettel record of, you know, most points between first and second in the Drivers' Championship. So, but it's hard not to you know, without getting too carried away already early on in the show, it is hard not to, you know, look at Max's success, you know, while it's no fault of the driver and, you know, just feel a bit, you know, a bit salty, you know, have a bit of, you know, have a bit of a tarnished feeling because of the stuff going on with Red Bull and uh, the cost cap and then also, um, you know, the people still upset about the end of last year Abu Dhabi but I think it's mainly to do with the cost cap you know now that uh whichever way you want to put it it's still on uh, on paper at the end of the day it is you know clear as daylight <laughs> um that they went over the cost cap they breached it and you know if you want to use the Zach Brown terminology they cheated you know, whatever they put their money into, whatever way they want to cover it up, at the end of the day, they made a boo-boo, you know, and everyone is going to perceive it as, um, you know, they 
got an advantage of from it, whether it was for last year and also for this year as well. Look how far ahead of the competition they are. It's it's clear as day. So that's the unfortunate side of things where, you know, we should be celebrating and reveling in the Max Verstappen era. Red Bull, their conduct, you know, Christian Horner doesn't come off as the greatest bloke of all time either. Um, you know, it's really hard to uh, you know, fully enjoy and bask in in the glory of Max Verstappen at the moment. So, yeah, let's um, move it on anyway and save that discussion for a bit later, a bit more fleshed out, as it were. Um, so we had Max nailing the start, and he went left to cover George Russell, who was on the second row, and in that, oh, sorry, he was on the front row, and potentially someone who could have been a contender, but it was the Drivers on the second row that we were keeping our eyes on, chiefly Lewis Hamilton, sorry, and uh, Max's teammate Sergio Perez, the home favourite. Um, and basically, Max nailed it. He got away, didn't forfeit the lead until the pit stops, which saw um, someone else lead briefly. I think it was Hamilton, but then he was able to get back in there. Um, and again, it was a situation where, you know, they didn't look like they were quick. I don't know if that's right in saying, like through practices, we were looking more at Ferrari. We were looking at Mercedes as well. Um, Mercedes, you know, benefiting from the fact that, you know, there's, uh, we're at a high altitude and, you know, basically rather than running, you know, cars with no um, downforce, they have to run like a lot of downforce and then, you know, also not have to worry about the power deficit as well. And then that's something that, you know, hurt Ferrari in particular with the way that their power unit is configured. Their turbo was making all sorts of weird noises if you listen to the onboards and stuff. And, you know, not even that, they just looked horrible the way they were going over the curbs in Sector 2 too. Um, but Red Bull just, you know, show their hand in qualifying. Unfortunately, Checo, he had issues chiefly with the DRS, so we couldn't see him, you know, potentially be on the front row. But, you know, he did still have a pretty good race, uh, despite having a pit stop drama as well, which potentially could have cost him, you know, second place. Um, but he made a good start. He split the Mercedes cars. Uh, George, he slipped to fourth. Uh, Ferrari, they were on the up as well with Valtteri Bottas, um, who put in an excellent qualifying to be P6, dropping down the order. Um, and from there, really, the race kind of just teetered into a strategic affair where, you know, the top teams, we were kind of just keep waiting for them to make their pit stops and seeing who's going to go on to what tyre. Um, the Red Bulls, they started on the soft tyre, so there was thought that they would have to two-stop, you know, do go on to the mediums and then medium again or soft for the final stint. Mercedes, they started on the medium tyre um, and, you know... They wanted to gamble on the hard tyre, which I thought after all the talk in practice and qualifying that hard tyres were not going to be suited um, here. You know, the only team that seems to do well on whatever tyre is Red Bull, but, you know, Mercedes have done better on the hard tyres this year compared to previous years. But again, you know, at a track where, you know, there's such a smooth surface, you know, there's a lot of grip and whatnot. I thought you would have not wanted to use that hard tire, particularly because Pirelli did bring, I think, the C2 for the hard. So it's one of the harder compounds in the range. Um, and then behind them, 
behind the top teams, then you had Ferrari, who were just in a race of their own, and then behind them, there was a whole lot of DRS trains going on, and that's, you know, um, as sad as as it is to say, you know, I thought that we were supposed to see more overtaking this year, and more close to racing um, with these new generation cars, and again, we had a pretty dismal and disappointing race overall, where there really wasn't much um, exciting things going on and particularly with you know when you want to have when you have one of those strategic races where you know it all comes down to a particular gamble that a team takes and that was Mercedes in this instance they're like right we're going to go into the hard tire um, Red Bull you know they're going to gamble on going long on the medium tire um, but Mercedes saying to their drivers throughout the race, oh, you know, we expect them to fall off the cliff, so just hang in there, hang in there, but that didn't happen, and the status quo remained, and George Russell in particular was getting a bit uh, antsy over this, and was not happy at all, Hamilton, great to see him a bit more calm in this situation, we know here how he gets a bit uh, Anstey as well over tyre choices, and he's like, oh, you should have, you know, left it to me to decide, and all that sort of thing, um, you know, all the all the takeaways you can want to get from that, but um, it was the other way, ra- other way around this time, and George, I think, was a bit more aggrieved in this situation, particularly because he didn't end up on the podium either, and I think, you know, Mercedes had hoped that they could cheekily get a win out of this weekend, but it didn't come to fruition. Uh, Red Bull pitting on laps 24 and 26 to go onto the medium tyre. And good on Red Bull too. That's like the nicest thing I can say about Red Bull this weekend or at all this season. But I think they realised that um, they looked at uh, Daniel Ricciardo, I think it was, uh, Danny Rick, who had a great race as well, which we'll talk about a bit later. Thank goodness for that. Um, you know, Red Bull probably looked at Ricardo's stint from the start of the race. He went, I think, 44 laps or 46 laps on the medium tyres that he started the race on before he switched to softs at the end. The fact that he was able to get that much life out of them, you know, go well into the race, uh, more than half race distance, I think that's what kind of inspired Red Bull to um, take that risk and say, well, we we don't need to two-stop here, let's just stay on the one-stop and take these mediums to the end, whereas Mercedes were hoping and telling their drivers that, yeah, just be patient, those tyres are going to drop off. And I think also um, James Hinchcliffe, IndyCar driver on F1 TV was as well, was, um, you know, praising Red Bull or applauding him for looking at Ricardo and, you know, using him as inspiration to, to make that decision for the... Uh, medium tyres in that second stint and make him last as long as it did. Shout out to James Hinchcliffe as well. I think doing a great job. Um, I don't get to watch F1 TV or we don't get much F1 TV content apart from what's on YouTube here in Australia. So, you know, I was watching the post uh, race analysis and he was quite great to listen to and, you know, very um, composed and professional and you know not trying to be sensationalist at all so I'd love to see more of him just overall you know after this year I think I feel more I don't want to say you know disillusioned as much as disappointed but just the the coverage this year from Sky in particular has been a lot more lacking than in previous years I know I 
don't like sky coverage at the best of times but it's you know what we've got to deal with here unfortunately um there's parts of their team that are great you know and then there's parts that are not either so you know without going too much into the details of what happened over the weekend with the you know um boycott from red bull as well um i think you know i would like to see a well a more balanced team broadcast team without the sensationalism that we get from Sky all the time and you know Hinch was definitely one of those uh, presenters that that brought that and I really enjoyed it so it'd be great to you know see him around again so going back to the actual racing side of things whatever was there in terms of racing um Russell was angry that they didn't pit him under the VSC that came out late for the soft tyres, so that was when Fernando Alonso conked out of the race with more reliability issues on the Alpine, um, but they did make a stop on the penultimate lap to go for the fastest lap, so he was able to get an extra point for that, but at the end of the day, Max cruised home for the win, Lewis Hamilton second, P3 for Checo, um, and also moving up to second in the Drivers' Championship as well with the, the result for Charles Leclerc down, it was the carbon copy result from last year's race as well, so you know, you could have mistaken it for 2021's race but no it wasn't uh but you know great consistency again from Hamilton and you know two races to go now to keep that record alive for him which you know I'm sure you know for my own prediction's sake I was saying yeah you know he will still win one this year and Mercedes will win one so Brazil is the one where it's it's got to happen you know because it's uh, such a great track for him in the past and you look at last year's performance it was great and then as well apparently they're going to be sitting down over the winter um, uh, after the end of the season to potentially do a new deal and Hamilton wants to do a new deal so that's great to see whether it's going to be you know just a year or I reckon probably two more years and whatnot overall you know just the way that this season's gone I think a a title challenge from Mercedes next year if they can work out their woes and you know get a car that's more consistent would be great you know and as much as I've I've wrote off Hamilton as being someone to mount another title challenge or I've kind of wrote him off for winning a title but you know to be able to mount a title challenge again I would love to see that just so we don't get you know you know Red Bull domination again and I've said don't worry I'm not saying it like as a Mercedes fan I'm not a Mercedes fan or like oh you know I'm sick of watching Red Bull I was sick of watching Hamilton dominate I want someone to be there challenging from start to finish so and I really don't think Ferrari are going to be capable of doing that so you know who else do you look to than Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton because they are the only ones who seem to have their heads screwed on and not going over the budget cap either (laughs) speaking of Ferrari lonely in P5 and P6 so Leclerc finishing no, it was science finishing ahead of Leclerc. Did they have their engines turned down? Was the kind of basic way of uh, describing their weekend? Yes, because, you know, the, the turbocharger apparently and the other little bits on the power unit weren't happy with the high altitude of um, Mexico. And their chassis as well just looked terrible. The way that they were going over the curbs in Sector 2, as I said, looked pretty dismal. I've seen 
supercars, you know, V8 supercars, for example, going over the curbs at Gold Coast look better than Ferrari going over the curbs in, in Mexico. So it wasn't their weekend at all. It very much looked like, if you want to talk about a repeat of 2021, it very much looked like a 2021 spec Ferrari where, you know, they're firmly at the head of the midfield. They're the third fastest team, but they're way, way down from the top two. And this is a bit concerning when you look at, you know, if it's going to be the same for them in Brazil and Mercedes only 40 points behind in the Constructors Championship. And when you're at the top end of the top end of town, 40 points could be, you know, overhauled within two races, depending on how Ferrari go. And Mercedes has been a lot more reliable. Ferrari haven't had that. Um, and there's potential as well, again, that um, Ferrari might not do so well in Brazil either. So, yeah, you know, take from that what you will. It will be interesting. I did predict earlier in the year that I reckon Mercedes will overhaul Ferrari. There's no backing down from that now. <laughs> so, you know, we'll have to see, wait and see what happens. But I think it'd be like the ultimate insult to Ferrari season if they end up finishing third in the Constructors' Championship, having come in as title favourites. And then even Mattia Bonotto, the team principal, saying after the mid-season break... Um, that we there's no reason why we can't win the last nine races of the season. They are nowhere near winning, and how are they going to win coming into coming to a venue like Mexico where they had to turn their engine down, for example? So it's not like you, we we're going to have a Red Bull double DNF and Mercedes finishing three and four behind the Ferraris. It's it was just not going to happen. So you know Ferrari. Yeah, big, big fail for this season, and it's not looking like it's going to get any better as well going into the last couple of races. Daniel Ricciardo, my goodness, magnificent, but messy P7 is how I can describe it. Um, but in the words of Dominic Toretto, winning is winning, even though he didn't win, but for him it probably is a win to finish in P7 and get some points. He got a 10-second time penalty for um, a rather botched uh, move on Yuki Tsunoda as well, um, having launched or kind of launched the car, the AlphaTauri, trying to get past him. I mean, to be fair, like... It, it looked bad when you look at back on it. Some people were like, oh, you know, what else was he supposed to do? But he was able to um, get a lead over Esteban Ocon at the end, 10 seconds over him to stay in P7, which was great. Uh, McLaren did a good job to um, allow him to get past his teammate Lando Norris as well. So for all those conspiracy theorists out there saying, oh, you know, McLaren favor Lando all the time. Well, in this instance, they said, well, Ricardo's the quicker car. He's on the faster tire. Lando, please let him pass. And even though Lando wasn't happy um, with the result at the end of the day, uh, you know, he can only blame himself for the poor start that he got as well um but then also the strategy that he was put on too so you know ricardo on the better strategy in that race and it's good you know because it's points overall for mclaren as much as you know i've been saying as well that it's it's lando who's carrying the team one-handed you know it's nice that ricardo is able to put in a little contribution as well before he finishes up in the next couple of races time so you know great great um final stint for him you know going long on those medium tires that was the main thing he did fall behind on the start a couple of positions he just missed out on the top 10 in qualifying um but to then be on that soft tire, he was able to just, you know, 
put the gap on everyone that he needed to, and that was mainly Esteban Ocon at the end. So good on him. Uh, Ocon finished behind, sandwiched between the McLarens. He was eighth, Lando Norris in ninth. Um, and again, Ocon, the only point scorer for Alpine, but Alpine were able to get the points back for Austin with the protest going the way of, um, or the appeal, I should say, going the way of them and Fernando Alonso, so that gap is still um, about eight points, I think. No, I'm not correct on that one. It is seven points, so there is still quite a bit to go in the latter stages of the season, and with the sprint races as well, or the sprint race coming up in Brazil, it's going to be important to get as many points out of that too, so I think this is one that's going to go down to the wire. Alpine, they have the quicker car, but it's not very reliable. McLaren, they're a lot more consistent, particularly with uh, Lando Norris, but if, you know, Dan does find some form in these last few races, that's going to be important, and I think that'll make the difference, and they'll still be able to finish P4 in the Constructors' Championship. Uh, first points as well for Valtteri Bottas since Canada as well. I mean, that's such a long time ago, the Canadian Grand Prix, so good on him. He was still able to pick up a point despite falling out of the top 10 and starting six, so that was a great result for him and Alfa Romeo. Keeping Aston Martin at bay as well, because Aston have closed the gap to Alfa Romeo in the last few races, but because Aston are a lot more inconsistent as we saw this weekend with both cars being nowhere, well, they just finished ahead of the Haases and Nicholas Latifi in the end, so, you know, they're going to kind of, um, you know, they there is more chance of Alfa finishing ahead of Aston there than it is the other way around, unless Aston um, seemed to go well in Brazil and Abu Dhabi. So, yeah, overall, a pretty, you know, dull race, i got to say. Max flexing is pretty much the, the main thing to take away from it, uh, while Red Bull are copping the flak. And that's where we're heading to next is the cost cap breach penalties that have been handed down to Red Bull. So Red Bull coming into the weekend entered an ABA with the FIA. So an accepted breach agreement, which, you know, kind of nullify the chances of there being more severe penalties handed, handed down. So if they didn't go into the ABA, they do expose themselves to the likelihood of points deductions and further development uh, you know, restrictions as well and, and, you know, reduction in cost cap for future seasons too. But they went into the ABA with the FIA and the sanctions handed down was a $7 million fine that has to be paid within 30 days. I mean, seriously, like a fine is, again, we said beforehand, everyone said beforehand, you know, that a fine's going to mean nothing. So they've still been given a fine. Uh, but then the big one, that is, you know, rattling everyone up is the 10% reduction in the wind tunnel testing. So because they will finish at the top or they've won the Constructors' Championship, um, they automatically get, you know, the less least amount of time in the wind tunnel. That's the whole new sliding scale system that we introduced or F1 introduced last year. Um, they're going to get 10% cut off that, which means they're going to be on par or they're going to have like 60% or like 63%, you know, which is pretty, a pretty big hit, but maybe not, you know, so Red Bull think it's draconian, 
and that's going to put them behind for next year because it, it pretty much starts now, say, for the development for next year and potentially 2024, whereas the rivals don't think it is. Aston Martin were given a $450,000 fine for their procedural breach, but at the end of the day, it's like... So them entering the ABA in the first place, you know, means they accept that they're at, you know, they're at fault kind of thing and didn't want to risk further things coming out and them getting in more trouble. So what do you say to that? You know, like I've already said it earlier that it just feels like as much as we need to give credit to Max and his ability and his driving, um... Red Bull themselves just feel like they've been tarnished. And I feel sorry, you know, it's not the entire team either. Like, I feel sorry for the staff that work for Red Bull, the fact that, you know, apparently they've been getting abused and all that sort of thing as well, just for working for Red Bull. It's the the onus is on the management. It's on, you know, the Christian Horner and and Helmut Marko as well, or mainly Christian Horner, really, because he oversees the whole team and you know makes those executive decisions and whatnot and and is there for consulting so the fact that they signed off on whatever caused them to go over the budget cap or whatever whatever they were planning you know at the end of the day they breached it they've gone over you don't accidentally go over by the amount that they did you know to be classified as a minor breach or whatever so what what's going to happen in the future now the fine and the 10% reduction in wind tunnel time or whatever mercedes were saying something like oh you know if that's all that they're going to give then you know we might as well go over by less than 5% next year just so we can win the championship you know like that's not the result that any of us wanted to see from the fact uh, formula 1 implementing a budget cap you know, we don't want them trying to take advantage of little little loopholes and, oh, you know, 5% isn't too much. I can get away. We can get away with that. That's not the point of it. So this is where the FIA need to remain consistent and make sure that they're policing this as well as they can so that teams are scared out of, you know, wanting to take that risk and going over. Because... Otherwise, the competition's not going to change. We're going to still see the same three teams at the front for, you know, as long as Formula 1 goes on or if, you know, one of them decide to pull out. Who knows? We're not going to see, you know, the midfield ever catch up or, like, new teams emerge at the front kind of thing. It's just going to be the status quo remain. And it's all because of the stubbornness and, you know, you know the resistance to change, I suppose, that these um, people have in Formula 1, which... Yeah, they just don't want to change, and that's not right, as naive as that sounds. All right, we'll move it on now anyway. Let's talk about some supercars. And we had the Gold Coast 500, which saw Shane Van Gisbergen uh, crowned 2022 champion, three-time champion now, um, also going back-to-back with last year. It was kind of the day of the Red Bulls, you've got to say, because, you know, we've seen Max... Verstappen dominate in F1, driving a Red Bull, and Shane Van Gisbergen the same in supercars this year, uh, driving a Red Bull Commodore. So he cruised to a win in race 31 on Saturday, 16.8 seconds over David Reynolds, who was the pole sitter to claim the championship. Um, 
Reynolds had made a good start and, you know, got away from Shane, but he was overhauled by lap 16. Um, surprisingly, too, no safety cars in that one, and we always get safety cars on the Gold Coast, so that was interesting. Um, a bit of intrigue later in the race, though, for Reynolds having a bit of steering drama, but then that put him into the company of Chaz Mostert and also Will Davison as well, right behind. He started from like ninth or something. Um, so he got up there, but Chaz was able to hand on, hang on for the podium. And great weekend from Chaz, though, um, getting back up into the top three of the championship. And, you know, important to point out as well with his results this season, if it wasn't for the horrible, horrible rounds that he had at Winton and Perth, I believe it was, um, he could have still been a mathematical chance for the championship. He's been super consistent and he's only been outscored, apart from those two rounds, um, by Van Gisbergen this season at every other round. So that's so good for him, but like so disappointing. You know, I love Chaz. I had him as my dark horse as well for this year's title, as I'm sure many would have. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you've got someone like Van Gisbergen who is so consistent and, you know, doesn't really have a bad, doesn't have a bad round, so bad <laughs> going all Texan on you. Um, who doesn't really have a bad, bad round anymore, um, you've got to be on it, you know, you've either got to be finishing just behind him or, um, ahead of him, and that's unfortunately not happened for any of the uh, drivers this year. Perfect case and example is, you know, Will Davison, who was caught napping on lap 11 in the second race there, he was leading early on, um, despite hopping over the chicane there uh, on the first lap, he was caught napping and, you know, here you go. Gizzy comes through and makes the pass and then was able to go on and win uh, race 32 as well and also give Triple Eight their 11th team's title as well. And important as well, I guess, for, for the Commodore and the Holden nameplate as well to get the uh, last ever championship win um, for as a, with the Commodore chassis before they switch over to the Camaro next year. So... That's, I guess, you know, without sounding horrible and nasty, and, you know, this is no way me being abusive to to any of the drivers, you know, this is just, like, a bit of constructive criticism, like, from a analytical point of view, all that sort of jazz, blah, 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 that, you know, it would have been great to see a closer title fight. Like, Shell V Power Racing, they have been excellent, you know, over the last few years, but since Scott McLaughlin and Fabian Coulthard and even Penske, you know, left, you know, it hasn't been the same. And, you know, it was okay giving Anton Di Pasquale a year to settle in. He's still young, you know, he's still a bit inconsistent and has got to find his feet. But this year it's been, he's been nowhere. And then same for Will Davison, someone who's as experienced he is, he as he is, he's a two-time Bathurst 1000 champion as well. Um, he's been super quick this year with with pole positions. He's I think the leader in terms of pole positions, um, but hasn't been able to execute during the races. And you know the example of being passed by um, uh, Van Gisbergen on lap 11, being caught napping. You don't do that against someone like Van Gisbergen. And then there's Cam Waters as well, who's been the same too. So that's where it's like, 
I'd love to see all of these guys fighting next year, but it's not going to happen because Van Gisbergen's a once-in-a-generation talent. He's achieved, you know, so much this year in supercars, very reminiscent to what Scott McLaughlin achieved as well. Uh, but then he went off to IndyCar. He's like, cool, I've proved what I needed to in supercars. Now I'm going to go elsewhere to do the same thing. And who knows what Van Gisbergen is going to do. I'd love to see him try the Gen 3 cars you know, which obviously I'm sure is going to happen. Um, and it's going to suit him a lot more because there's a lot more driving involved. You know, there's not going to be as much aero wash. Um, and he's, whatever he gets into, he's been doing quite well in this season. So I reckon it's going to be more of the same next year, I think, uh, unless other teams and drivers can get their acts together and, and take the fight to them. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see. Anyway, rounding out um, race 32 as well, uh, pole for Gizzy through the top 10 shootout. He lost the lead to Davison on the first lap because Davison had to go across the chicane, got a little bump from Mostert from behind, and that angered Van Gisbergen, he said, after the race. So he was working madly to get back into the lead, um, and he, you know, basically got a big lead, but then also the safe, there was a safety car at the end of the race, which reduced it to two seconds, a two-second win over Chaz Mostert. Um, there was a massive incident, too, on lap three, sadly marred by James Golding, you know, tripping over the beach chicane and ending up in the wall, collecting the likes of Brock Feeney, James Courtney, Nick Perkett, Macaulay Jones, whose car was on fire, sadly, and Lee Holdsworth as well, which caused the red flag. And for James Golding, who, by the way, has a new deal with Premier Racing to stay there at 2023, which is well-deserved, it was the only blemish, I guess you could say, because he got into the top 10 shootout for the first time in his career as well over the weekend. First ever top 10 shootout for Premier Racing too. So, you know, that was all going good and well. And then, you know, having that big crash, I think, um, kind of took the polish off a little bit. But it'll be exciting seeing a young driver like Golding, or he's not really young anymore. Um, or he's been around the blocks, but he's still young. Um, getting that second chance in supercars. And again, you know, a driver who might not necessarily boast the biggest budget, we're going to get to see him for his talent. And I think that's the important thing that, you know, there are some seats on the supercar grid that seem to be determined purely on budget and, you know, who you know rather than what you know kind of thing. And it's a bit disappointing because they just make up the numbers year in, year out. So, you know, we'll see how he goes um, next year and still unknown as to who his teammate will be, but it won't be Chris Pither, as I've said previously. Um, we also saw that Boost Mobile, um, Peter Adderton, the outspoken um, Boost Mobile chap, owner, founder, whatever, passionate though, he's quite passionate, um, he bought a uh, Gen 3 Camaro off Triple Eight over the weekend, so he's looking at hoping to get into supercars with his own team, starting from scratch with the Triple Eight car, so it's really good to see his enthusiasm and passion, but unfortunately it looks like they're going to be fighting for that um, 26th Teams Racing Charter, the uh, that's what wrecks are called now, the racing entitlements contracts that we used to know and love. There's only 26 of them available, and the 26th one, which is parked up at the moment, um, apparently is going to be fought for by um, uh, Adderton and also the Blanchard Racing Team, who want to expand two cars next year. So I feel like, you know, supercars might look on 
Blanchard a bit more favorably than they would Adderton, given the fact that, you know, Adderton's pretty much got to start from scratch, you know, set up his own base, um, redo all the recruiting, whereas, you know, the BRT is pretty much good to go. They just need to expand, you know, to be able to cater for two cars. But that might not happen until 2024 at the earliest. So we'll just have to wait and see how it all pans out. But yeah, other than that, you know, that was that was Gold Coast. That was Supercars. That was the day of the Red Bulls because they dominate whatever they do. Quick shout out to, um, despite talking a lot about Shane Van Gisbergen, but Brock Feeney as well has done an amazing job this season. Uh, filling the shoes of Jamie Wincup, of course, the seven-time champion who's now the team owner and team boss at Red Bull um, Empire Racing. Uh, he's sixth in the championship. He's had two podiums this year and just a hell of a lot of consistency, which, you know, again, you know, you can attribute that to them winning the team's title rather than just, you know, Van Gisbergen carrying them pretty much, which, you know, he has, but it would have taken, you know... Feeney not to be up there as well for someone like a Shell V Power to come in and win. So, you know, they've wrapped it up with a round to spare. And guess what? Next round, Adelaide 500. Can't wait for that because I'll be there. Looking forward to it. It's still a month away, I think, from now. So, you know, they'll get some good downtime before going in and uh, wrapping up the season. Hopefully, you know, with no more championship on the line, you know, everyone's just going to go hard and put on a show, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to actually being there trackside and being able to see it, so, you know, keep an eye out for all my photos and whatnot from from there. Anyway, that wraps up this one, we'll be back, of course, after the Brazil uh, Grand Prix, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, I don't know what it's called this year. Um, until then, take care, uh, keep an eye out on socials, at Hit the Apex Media, that's the Twitter handle, there's also the link tree to all the other content that I, um, put together, other than that, take care, and I'll see you guys next time, bye.